Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, the answer to the Golf News Network and 4,000 different podcast platforms out there. I'm JT, uh, coming to you from what we normally call the Turn It, Don't Burn It studio, so I guess I can work for golf. Uh, also, this is the show where we talk to the characters, curmudgeons, and carefree souls that make up this game that we love so much. This segment of Grilling at the Green is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended, and also Gunter Wilhelm Knives, unmatched quality and comfort, online at GunterWilhelm.com. We've got our friend of the show, and always with some amazing insight into the world of golf, Gary Van Sickle with us today. How are you doing, bud? Well, I'm trying to decide if I'm described as a curmudgeon or a carefree soul, and I think I know which way that meter is tilting. <laughs> I would personally, I would go with the carefree soul, um, but because I'm right. If you want to go to the interview, you, at the end of the interview, you go on all curmudgeon. So yeah, yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah, well, by the end of the interview, I'm right there with you with curmudgeon. So believe me, it's okay. curmudgeon feels like get off my dang long, you kid. <laughs> yep, yep. So it's been kind of an interesting year so far, I think, um, with some of the. Uh, the tournaments we've, you know, watched on TV and what have you. And of course, that's what I want to get your take on today. But the first thing I want to talk to you about, my friend, is you just wrote a piece, I think it was last week, about Patrick Reed, who's now, uh, I think you call him golf's villain. Um, I, you know, I like the way Patrick plays. I'm not so giddy about the way he handles himself or the rule stuff, but he's a pretty good golfer, but uh, I guess somebody has to carry that mantle, so why not him? Well, it's helpful if somebody does have, you know, I mean, think about it. What villains has golf ever had? You know, about the only ones you could even come up with would be Ryder Cup related, you know, us against them, sure. European guys, Seve, uh, Sergio Garcia, Monty for a while, and Faldo, I suppose. But mainly, we didn't like those guys that much because they didn't play over here back in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, until the 90s, they really couldn't get over here much unless they moved here. So we didn't know them. You know, the Ryder Cup has gotten a lot more friendly since, really, there's only one tour we're playing on, and these guys play against each other all the time. So those were the old days, but Golf, you know, what villains has golf ever had? And um, I, I mean, I really, Raymond Floyd is kind of a hard guy to like, but 
great player, but was he a villain? You know, I just I, I can't think of any. And Reed has had enough rules violations, and the whole, you know, his whole personality, his whole. And I hate to you know criticize the guy for his family situation because that's really none of my business. But you know, he had his parents kicked off a golf course once, and they weren't allowed to go watch him when he won the Masters. They're sitting at home in Augusta. Um, he's a weird guy, but he's good. The, the more you, it seems like he reminds me of Leon Spinks, who just recently <laughs> passed away. If you remember watching him, if you're really an old curmudgeon, right, and watched him in the Olympics, you know, he was one of those guys that if you landed a solid punch on him and really got him and thought you had the match, no, all you did was guarantee you're about to lose. You would punch him, and it landed, and he would just become enraged, and he would unleash a flirt. He would just go crazy. Right. So anytime you landed a punch on him, you were done. Wham, 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 wham. He came back and knocked you out. And Patrick Reed is like, every time somebody somebody gets on him about rules violations or his attitude or whatever, all he does is win. He plays better. You know, he's, he likes to show off. He's got that killer mentality. And the man can the man can play with a wedge and a putter, and that's that's the key to golf. So there's no question he's a great player, but he's not warm and fuzzy for most people. And he he can play the game a little bit. He can be charming when he needs to. But you know, if you ask him anything about other stuff, he just goes, "I'm out here to win tournaments." Yeah. Okay. Well, wouldn't it be more fun if you were winning tournaments and talk to your parents once in a while? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Well, I think I think Gary that he's. You know, it's gone to a point and it could be either one of a couple of things. Here's my, you know, my psychology degree, which I don't have coming out of me, but it's like either that, that situation has gone on long enough that he is now using that in his, in his bio. You know what I mean? He's, he plays on that sometimes or, you know, he's just, very cold-hearted guy i have no idea i've never met him i've never talked to him but it just seems to me that you know he like you said about the leon spinks analogy he kind of relishes in that in a way but when you see things like what happened you know there a couple weeks ago um and i didn't see it i saw edited replays of it so i'm not one to sit there and make judgments on that i didn't see it but well, you know, you, you don't have to have seen it. I can summarize it for you in sure. two sentences. Sure. You hit a ball in the rough, second shot. Patrick later, it was three inch rough. It was pretty thick, and I mean, pretty thick, and it had rained earlier in the week, but it was pretty thick grass. Okay. Patrick said before he knew the ball bounced, he said, "Yeah, uh, if that ball bounced, it'd be virtually impossible for that ball to embed. Embed virtually impossible." So he gets up there and things whatever he winds up taking a drop for an embedded ball and afterwards but after the round he finds out the ball was embedded yeah and and he doesn't think oh you know i said it was virtually impossible for to embed and yet i took a drop why did i take a drop oh because they let me yeah now you can put those you know either he was playing playing within the rules or You've been around. I mean, he was crouched. I think the you know, CBS went off on him, and so did Golf Channel. Right. 
when Jim Nance turns on you, you got a problem because he didn't turn on anybody. But Saldo, <laughs> but there's a lot of things you can do in that situation. But he was lingering. He's crouched over that ball for a long time. And he's poking it, poking around in there. You know, I didn't see it. I've watched it a couple times trying to find out, you know, was there a point where he could have just leaned on that ball with his fingers a little bit, crouched down, and pushed it in there a little bit? Yep. And, you know, I can't tell that he did, but I can't tell that he didn't. So my point is, by his own words, he said, there's no way it could be embedded. And yet, and yet, because he was granted relief, he took it. So is that cheating or is that, I mean, we don't know. We don't know the answer, but the fact is he could have saved himself a lot of grief afterwards when he found out that the ball didn't, in fact, bounce. He should have said, you know, I don't think I was entitled to relief, so I'm going to take a penalty. And you may recall a time last year when Roy McElroy was, uh, I think he replaced the ball to inspect it or something, and he put it back, and there was a rules guy there, or the rules guy helped him put it back, and Roy said, no, you know, I, that, it was it, it was in deeper than that. that. It was it was worse than that. Rory made his life worse to recreate the lot. So that's kind of the mindset that most golfers have. But you know, other golfers have the mindset of if the tour tour lets me do it, then I'll do it. Right. And, you know, you see Bryce and DeChambeau challenging rules officials all the time about ant hills and this and that, <laughs> and he usually gets no, told no. But if they if they tell him yes, then he'll do it. So, reads in that gray area, to me, you know, based on his long history, and you can go Google Patrick Reed and some of the stories that have been big, big takeout feature stories that people, uh, you know, spent a month accumulating information on and read, read about his history at Augusta State and at University of Georgia and all that. And, you know, uh, he's got a history there. So, when you see him in a situation like this, and it just doesn't smell right, and even Jim Nance says that. You know, at this point where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. Absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a break here on uh, Grilling at the Green. And Gary Van Sickle and I will be back in just a minute. Please stay with us. everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. On a long and lonesome highway East of Omaha Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. We're talking with Gary Van Sickle today. Our friends down at Langdon Farm still have their prime ribs going on uh, every Friday night. They're takeout right now, but according to our really efficient government officials, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, believe me, uh, they may be opening up again for 50% occupancy, uh, that type of thing. So check them out down at Langdon Farms. If you want to email us, it's very simple, just info at grillingatthegreen.net. Are your 
restaurants and stuff back in the Pittsburgh area, are they still closed down or what's going on back there, Gary? No, they've been, they're open. I don't know if there's a capacity limit. I think they do have some tables, you know, crossed off. Sure. So maybe it's 50%, but we've been back, uh, you know, you've been able to go out and eat for a couple of weeks here. Oh, cool. But our, we've got a demo, we've got a democratic governor who has been pretty harsh clamping down this whole time. And I don't know. I mean, it, it looks, you look around the country, everyone has been more in mass for quite a while and it really hasn't made much of a dent, but that's just my opinion. So no, I know yeah, we're back, we're back in business. It's nice to, you know, nice to go out to a restaurant and sit down, even if you weren't a mask to, to walk to your table. Sure. And it's that, like a treat. Now I, I, we didn't, we took it for granted before, but not, not for a while. Yeah. That's the other thing I don't understand. You know, um, when you're walking, when, once you get through the doors of the restaurant, unless there's a lot of people milling around there in the waiting area, but you have to wear your mask till you actually sit down. <laughs> I don't get that, but that's just me. I'm, well, well how, how about the thing at the health club where my wife can go to water aerobics and they're in the shallower part most of the time and they have to wear a mask because they water aerobics. Oh, right next to the lap lanes where swimmers are swimming laps without masks. Well, they're swimming without mask, and they're in the pool, and they're, you know, they're blowing bubbles. That, you know, really is. <laughs> of, course, of course, that chlorine is so strong; it probably kills anything, including COVID. But yeah, it seems odd that you have to wear a mask for in one part of the pool and not in the other. It reminds me of flying on, flying on an airplane in the seventies, and there was a smoking section in the plane and a non-smoking section. <laughs> Oh, yeah. If you're in the non-smoking section, you wouldn't smell that smoke at all. Oh, no. No, 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 not at all. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about that. One time I flew from Portland uh, all the way to Dulles. This is a straight through flight on an airlines that I don't fly. I've only flown them like maybe three, four times in my life, American, just because it's not convenient out of Portland. Back row, middle seat you know, five hours to Dulles from here. And it was the smoking, smoking section. And I smoked at the time and I, but I would never smoke on airplanes because they just, it was gag you, you know, but I was back there, <laughs> very back row <laughs> stuck. So, um, my, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything more about American airlines, but I just know that I don't fly them very often. Put it that way. Well, I was hoping it was going to be some airline that was extinct. I was hoping you're going to say Piedmont or North Central or Eastern or some, yeah. some throwback name. But, I, you know, I, I travel so much. I'm at the point, you know, when I book my own flights now that if all I can get, I mean, before, before COVID, if all I could get was a middle, middle seat, I basically look for a different flight. Yep. Yep. I'm just not going to sit in the middle seat anymore. Yeah. Because you never know when you're next to the person who's got a dog or a cat under their, in their little carrier under the seat. And of course, nobody can be expected to follow the rules and keep their dog or their cat in the little cage. They, they pull them out and they have them out, which you're not supposed to do. And if you complain about it, they say, oh, but he's so, it's so crowded in there. And I'm like, hey, you're the bad guy. You're the one who stuck that dog in that little doggy cage. Yep. You're the one who decided your dog has important business in L.A. this weekend. <laughs> you didn't have to bring your dog. Your dog's in that cage because you put him there. So, But I guess the rules don't apply to you, just everyone else. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I always like the ones that uh, never have flown before. And there's not too many people like that anymore. But when I was traveling a lot, you would get somebody that was never 
had never flown before, and they were either extremely nervous, you know, white knuckling, pearl clutching the whole time. And if you hit any turbulence, they thought they were, you know, going to die and go to hell right there. Or they like to collect souvenirs. Are you going to use that swizzle stick? Is it? Can I have your napkin? You know that. <laughs> I love those people, man. They were great. Yeah. They were just absolutely. Well, you, you know, it's it, in those the, the first time flyers are usually like high school or college age kids, or they're really older people who haven't gone anywhere. You know, right? I I saw one where uh, probably college age girls were checking in in Phoenix, and the U.S. Air agent said. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm so sorry that, you know, you have to check in 45 minutes for your flight. I can't, I can't check your bags. Once you, you know, once you pass 45 minutes before your flight time, we can't, we can't check bags. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? You know, these are people who think, you know, you, you only have to, all you have to do is show up at the airport, you know, 20 minutes for your flight. You can go walk right to the gate because they don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, that was it's not really their fault because they don't travel, but. You know, that was they, 50 years ago, it, though, when you when, when you can just walk right to the gate. You know, that was a long, yeah, long I know, time ago. But I mean, let's, you're a new traveler. What do you know? Unless you right. ask somebody, it's like two hours before the flight. Why would I do that? Uh, because you're liable to stand in line half an hour to 45 minutes to check your bag. Yep. And then you're liable to stand in line for 30 to 45 minutes to get through security. Yep. And then you got to go to your gate and then you got to get in line to board the plane. I mean, you know, so but they but people don't know that. And uh you know, it's trial and error, but you see some uh, sad stories and people cry, and you know. Yeah, we don't. We don't happens. like. I don't like to see people cry. It's uh, no, it's 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 too bad. Or the flights cancel. What am I gonna do? Yeah. Well, you're gonna wait for the next flight, which unfortunately nowadays is not gonna be in 90 minutes. You're lucky if there's another flight going to the even before COVID. They cut back on so many flights. If you miss a flight. Oh man, you're you're looking at spending the night in the, in the airport because there are not that many. Depending on where you're going, I, airlines don't don't it, go to sit. It, it's not a flight every hour, every two hours. It might only be two a day, and if you miss the last one, you either get in a hotel or you're sleeping on the couch at gate twelve. Done that too. Done that too for yeah, you know too. getting out of one city, trying to make a connection in another, and then um, you know it just. And don't worry about your bags because they'll show up in three or four days if you're lucky. But, you know, you miss the flight and you're just kind of you're just kind of there. Um, we're going to take another quick break. And Gary and I'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Grilling at the Green. Uh, you are. And I'm telling you the truth. Hey, it's JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at benhogangolf.com. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. We're talking with uh, Gary Van Sickle today. I'd like to thank again Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended, and also Ben Hogan Golf. Tour quality clubs at factory direct prices, benhogangolf.com. I can tell you this, Gary, um, Ben Hogan Golf and PXG and some of those companies, I think, had a banner year due to COVID. 
Uh, I talked to Scott White not long ago, and they were really, uh, once they could get back into production, because they got closed down, you know, early on, like we all did. And when they got back in, he said, you know, it was tough to keep up with the orders. They were going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's totally true. Who, who thought the pandemic would cause golf to, you know, it was, it's a turnaround year for golf. Now, whether it continues or not, we don't know, but. Golf is, uh, I've been Mr. Gloom and Doom for a number of years here because this keeps declining. And I, I thought, I thought the pandemic might be the last, you know, throw the dirt on the coffin kind of a thing. And it turned out it, it was a boon for a lot of reasons. Guys are working at home or women are working at home. I got nothing better to do. It's outdoors. It seemed like of all the activities, it seemed like the safest one. You're out there on 200 acres with, you know, 60 or 80 other people. You could you could be socially distant. Uh, it makes sense. Well, I, I you know a lot of people got back into golf, or, or some people took it up yep. because it seemed like it was safe. It, it was stunning. I mean, I, in Pittsburgh, it was hard to get a tee time that you wanted at a public course. Yes, and it, in, in private courses, the same they said it was a boon to public courses. And private clubs got a little more cart revenue, but it, you know it didn't help them as much because they were mostly just getting member member play. So the courses were getting beaten up, beat up more. The maintenance crew had to work harder, but they weren't making a lot more money because it just more members played more golf as opposed to public course. You know, you jack the green speeds up and you still are slammed. So I mean, they had a banner year and it's built over into equipment and apparel and, and everything. So, uh, you know, I'm happy, except that there were a lot of people in my way this last summer that, that other than that, <laughs> you know, I'm happy for the game, but for me personally, I, I was inconvenienced. Well, I can I can tell you, and it's all about me. It's all about me. Well, of course it is. The game of golf. I I understand. I completely. Um, I can tell you that the well, you hear you hear me mention them every time I do the show. Langdon Farms, which is a lovely public course right off Interstate Five, not far from where I live, and then I live just a few blocks from the OGA, the Oregon Golf Association's home course there, where they're located, and those guys are always slammed pre-covid langdon was always pretty busy oga would kind of come and go especially if they were doing tournaments or whatever but now uh i drive through what would essentially be the back nine at the oga to to get to one of the access roads to get from my house and uh there's always people on i mean always and i think that's a great thing um, one thing I wanted to ask, yeah, I, I wrote a, I, I wrote a story for morning read this last summer and the headline basically was did the pandemic just save golf. Yeah. And it, it did for this year. I, the big question is, is it going to carry over into 2021 or in 2022? Or was this, uh, you know, when normal, when, when we get back to normal, if we ever do, is it, is, it, is golf going to go back to where it was? And, you know, I mean, that, no, nobody has an answer for that, but, it was a, it kept a lot of, a lot of courses that were in trouble Boy, this was a shot in the arm that, that probably bought them three more years. I imagine. And I, and I hope so. I really hope so. Um, yeah, I hope so too. I, the more courses there are, the more spread out the people who play it are, the less likely I am to have to wait. So that's what it's There you about. go. There you go. It's, it's the Van Sickle rule of physics there. Yeah, I have, I have looked Jeff. I have one goal in life. I just want to play golf unimpeded. That's it. That's a pretty simple, uh, pretty simple rule, really. 
You know, you know I'd, I'd like to do all things unimpeded, but let's be realistic here. I just, you know, if it, if it comes down to it, I'll just take golf, being unimpeded in golf, and the rest of it, I'll wait. There you so, go. Yeah, that's what I want to do. So normally we don't talk politics on this show, and this to me this isn't a whole lot about politics, but uh, Annika and Gary Player received a lot of crap as far as I'm concerned about getting the presidential freedom award because of Trump was the president then. Um, I didn't have a problem with it, you know, and you had some of the writers, you know, giving them static. And in fact, uh, who was it? Rick Riley went after tiger and said, he's got blood on his hands now for, uh, having the presidential freedom award, you know, a couple of years ago, whenever he got it. Personally, I think that we shouldn't, we should not bring those types of, of politics into our game. That's just me. There's plenty of other airtime out there for people to address those things without dragging golf into the middle of it and trying to be um, sanctimonious about what somebody did or earned or whatever. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Well, a lot of people did really suffer, and I'm not sure who coined the term, but they suffered from Trump derangement syndrome or DDS. Yep. And, you know, Biden is doing stuff now that Trump did, but it was terrible when Trump did it, but it's great when Biden's doing it. Yeah. Uh, just a lot, of hip, a lot of hypocrisy, but that's, sure. that's the basis of all politics. Sure. Yeah, Trump Trump was a polarizing figure. Yeah. I'm not sure why he was polarizing. They went crazy even before, you know, when he was running for president, they were they were they had the knives out for him. Yeah. So, I mean, he never had a chance. And uh, this isn't going to sound political, but, you know, look at what he did in four years. ISIS was beheading people every week and taking over the whole Middle East. In nine months, they were done. He took them out. Yep. The guy in North Korea is threatening to cause a nuclear war, and what happened to him? Trump talked to him. He never heard of another peep. You know, he, he, he stopped travel to China right away, as reasonably early as anybody could. And, of course, Biden and many others criticized him for being xenophobic, but it turns out he was right in the money and he should have stopped travel from Europe too. But uh, he got criticized for that. He was right. Uh, he, he's got a bill. He got Middle East peace. He got all these countries on board for Middle East peace. And it was like, oh, never mind. That, you know, it's Trump. It didn't count. So I get why people, I get why, you know, it was risky to accept that award. Uh, I don't really get why these people were, Two thousand percent opposed to Trump even before he got into office, but he got a lot of things done. I guess if you know if Trump was going to give me a presidential medal of freedom, I probably would have turned it down too because of the nutballs out there and the toxicity. You know, I mean, this thing about you know you have people rioting in the Capitol. Well, what did one person die? We had writing, you know, you're a better expert. You had writing all summer in Minneapolis and Portland and other cities. Yeah. All that was okay. People died. That was okay. But, oh, this thing, we got to put a fence up on the Capitol and spend $400 million a month to make sure nobody can get into the Capitol building again. Well, gee, if you did, I would think the people in Portland might have wished they'd done something like that after the first week of writing. Yeah. But oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not there, so I can't say. But people, uh, politics and religion, people don't listen to common sense or logic. They just have this passion. And, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Trump was a, he was hated before he was elected. 
Well, and they had the whole, and they had the whole the, the sham impeachment where, as you find out in the testimony in Congress, they knew, you know, they, they knew all along that Mueller wasn't going to, there was nothing to find. They knew the whole time while they were doing it. And yet they went ahead and did it because politically it helped their party. So, sure. you know, I, it was a shame that, you know, Trump was put in that position. These people were put in that position. And honestly, by becoming president, I said it when he first got elected. It's like, man, all the, he just he just he just shot all his businesses in the foot. His business empire is in trouble. Uh, even you know, even if you're a golf course, you don't want to have the Trump name on it. As the PGA Championship had to unload their um, switch venues in a couple of years. Right. He's just he's just toxic for half the population. And, uh, you know, business-wise, that's too much. So I understand it's bad for business. Well, and, uh, I don't know how he recovers from this because <laughs> I don't think he's going to go quietly, but I guess we never know. No, we don't know. Well, he'll do something, I'm sure. But like I said, um, and I agree with everything you said there, Gary, I just, I you know, I saw the golf writers go after, go after Trump. I saw, not you, but I saw other people in our trade go after him. And it was like this sanctimonious, holier than thou. And really, I just wanted to go, who the hell are you to do this? You know, I mean, it's you got we all have our personal opinions. Great. That's we can do that here. But when you start really going after kind of iconic figures, not talking about Trump, but like Annika or player or some of these guys. You know, that was like, I, I don't, I can't wrap my head around that. Anyway, we got to take another break. And Gary and I will be back in just a minute um, here on Grilling at the Green. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Grilling at Grilling at the Green, if I can speak properly today. We've got my friend Gary Van Sickle with us today. Uh, first, here's uh, Bruce Furman with his tip of the week. This is Bruce Furman. I'm the director of instruction out at Langdon Farms Golf Club. Today's tip is, uh, talks about, I'm going to talk about the downswing, how to start your downswing. Um, one aspect of it that a lot of people really don't realize is that when you start your downswing, you, you do start from the ground up. You start with your feet, you shift your weight forward, but as you swing down, you're going to rotate the handle of the golf club in a counterclockwise manner, and that helps you square up the face at impact. And that starts from the top of the swing, and all players have some rotation from the from the start of the downswing, and that helps you flex your wrist or get that wrist into a bowed position at impact, which de-lofts it. The, the great Mickey Wright, um, who a lot of people think maybe had the best swing of all time, wrote about this in, in, in her book, and she described it as squeezing the last two fingers of the left hand to have the club head fall behind the hands and get that rotation where you're on plane and you're, and you're de-lofting the golf club and you're rotating it to square at impact. So give that a try. I think it'll help you. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate that very much. You can find out more about Bruce and his training, his clinics, and private lessons down at Langdon Farms. Just go to their website, click on instruction, little drop-down menu, hit his picture, boom, you're right there. So we're we're talking with uh, Gary Van Sickle. Like I said, Gary's become a friend of the show over the last few years, and I really appreciate his time, as always. 
Um, one last thing I wanted to get into in the regular show, and then when we do after hours, we can dig more into it, Gary. Uh, USGA, I think it was yesterday or the day before, said now they can use rangefinders at the championships this year. Uh, okay, you can, you can use, here's my thoughts, just a little sporadic as usual. You can use a range fire finder, but they're still bitching about the distance on the, on the balls and stuff. I, I, to me, there's kind of a, maybe it's a reach, but there's kind of an oxymoron there for me for some reason. Well, it, it was the PGA of America that oh, yeah. okay. was going to allow rangefinders at its championships, which would be the PGA Championship, the Women's PGA, and the Senior PGA. But that's a breakthrough because no pro events, pro tour events, have allowed them in the official competition. Now, the PGA Tour, like Monday qualifying, guys use guys use rangefinders. Corn Ferry Monday qualifying, guys use rangefinders. Uh, the PGA Tour, Tim Pinchin, the previous commissioner, said, I don't like the way it looks. Well, I don't know any golfer, professional or amateur, who doesn't want the exact yardage to the pin. Every sure. golfer is pretty much in favor of having a rangefinder. It's been a real fight. Uh, USGA is kind of on the fence. They're, they don't want to say it's okay until other pro tours do it. Or you know, if the PGA Tour says, yeah, we'll want rangefinders, USGA will say, fine, let's, let's, we'll do it. Okay. But they're, they're waiting. But yeah, the big story, the big story, you know, rangefinders has been a long battle. I've been a rangefinder guy since day one, uh, backing that thing. It speeds up play in amateur golf for sure. And it probably isn't going to speed up play in the pro tour because they don't lose their time. They don't lose time by figuring out the yardage. Daddy's got the book. They know the, they lose all their time because A, every par five backs up because it's reachable in two by almost everybody in the field. Sure. B, it's in vogue to have a drivable par four on a course now. That backs up late because guys can't tee off. And C, they get in the greens, and as one guy described it to me, he's like, they get in the greens and they do their kabuki dance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's ever ready to putt. You know, the first guy who putts, the other two guys stand around and pick their nose. They don't do anything. When they're turning the putt, that's when they start analyzing the putt. So I, I, I've always said, you know, a, a shot clock would help. Even if you just had a shot clock on the greens, it'd be easy to say, okay, it's your putt. You got 45 seconds. And you either get the putt off in time or you don't. You know, you don't need a rules guy there. But anyways, the good news is the USGA and the RNA just announced that they're taking discussions and comments, uh, open discussion time this year about what should be done about, you know, rolling back the ball or the club. Sure. Now, this is important because they're not having a discussion about whether we should do it. They're having a discussion about the best way to do it. So what that means is something's going to finally happen. Mm-hmm. Now, we can only pray to God that these guys are smart enough to realize that to do this, we have to have bifurcation. We have to have a set of rules for pros. And a separate set of rules for amateurs, because you just had a pandemic. The pandemic that saved golf, people are playing it again and they're liking it. You can't come back the next year and say, oh, yeah, hey, you amateurs, yeah, we're going to take 20 yards away from the tee shot. And here's a ball that doesn't go anywhere. You can't do that. No. But you can do it to the pros because they need to. It's ridiculous. You know, the only, pro, the only courses long enough for the PGA Tour players to play anymore are basically the course of the PGA Tour. 
We're going to uh, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, Gary and I are going to pick this up in after hours. So, Gary, thanks for being on the regular show. Talk to you in about 30 seconds here. And folks, thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. Take care, everybody. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.